Good morning. The scripture reading today will be coming from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. That is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Good morning. You know, looking around our world today, and then looking back through the timeline of the scriptures from creation to where we are now, we get to be in a very privileged position. Have you thought about it before? The idea of where we are in the scope of time, the plan of redemption, and the plan of salvation, we've got to be in one of the most lucky periods of time, the most blessed uh, periods of time, because we get to look back into the Old Testament to learn about creation, how we were made, what our purpose is, who is our creator, what he wants from us, but also we get to learn from the mistakes of the past. We get to look at all the people that lived before us and what they did that was right and God was well pleased and those things that, that were done against his will and learn the consequences from those mistakes. We also get to look into the New Testament and see the time that people were waiting for for hundreds if not thousands of years for Jesus to be born. And after he was born, he began his ministry, he healed people, he preached the message of the kingdom, and eventually he gave his life on the cross as a ransom for all mankind. We get to look into the book of Acts and see how those 11 original friends of Jesus began to propagate that message powered by the Holy Spirit, to tell the world about who Jesus was and what that meant for them and their eternal destiny. We have to look through the epistles of Paul and others to learn how the first century church struggled with ideas, how they saw opportunities in front of them and they were using those opportunities to spread the kingdom, but also the pitfalls of the people in the church are still just people. And sometimes we have problems, we have disagreements, we have issues, and we have struggles that we have interpersonally. And then ultimately we see the book of Revelation. John exiled to Patmos. He is now an old man, and he receives the revelation of God. The revelation being a panoramic view of what the future would entail, and it culminates that the new heaven and the new earth would descend from heaven for us to be with our creator God forever. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more sadness or sickness. Instead, we get to have the light of God with us always, restoring what he began all the way back in the book of Genesis. And we get to see that whole picture because we live at a time in which we are right now. We have the privileges that so many before us did not have. A few things that I want to discuss this morning are a couple of ways that we are privileged, by no means exhaustive, and then now that we know how privileged we are in those areas, what can we do to appreciate those privileges? My voice is almost gone. I don't know what's going on, so this is the loudest I'm going to talk to you this morning, so bear with me. We are so privileged in that we get to hear the full word of God, like I've mentioned before. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, our scripture for the day, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek. And to read that simply, we read it and say, yeah, of course. But when Paul wrote those words, that was a game-changing message. Because now he's saying, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, because that good news, that gospel, is salvation. Not just forgiveness temporarily, or atonement temporarily, but true forgiveness for not just the Jew from the Hebrew Scriptures, but also for those that are outside of that, that state, for the Gentile as well. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Peter writes these words. He's discussing salvation in the previous context. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Let's pause there. Again, to re-explain that passage, we have the prophets of the Old Testament specifically writing about things that they would see off way in the distance. And they were not all too clear about what those prophecies were for. Who were they about? When would that take place? I think about Isaiah, for example, writing approximately 400 years before the time of Christ. And he's got a long time to wait to see what would take place with this so-called suffering servant he was writing about towards the end of his book. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Knowing that in the first century, Peter was saying, you are privileged because the Old Testament prophets wanted to live in your time period. They wanted to know about Jesus and who he was and what he would do and what he was all about, what his plan was. And now you in the first century get to experience that truth. And now even angels desire to look into the information that you have. Well, how much more blessed are we than they? We get to not just live in the first century, but to be able to stand before the Word of God and say, we know the story. We know His story. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. Here's the Hebrew writer discussing people that we should sound somewhat familiar to us from the Old Testament. And what more shall I say? Because the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and all the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to fight the armies of the invaders. Women received their dead raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, 
and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, as the legend goes for Isaiah, by the way, a wooden saw, they said. Yes, and uh, they were slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Again, the Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith, all these people that did something through or by faith that resulted in a lesson for all of us. And the author says there's too many. Here's the highlights, but here's the rest of them that I don't have time to mention. Looking at all their examples of the time frame in which they lived, waiting for the time ahead of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, verse 39, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, still didn't receive the promise. Verse 40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect or complete apart from us. The author here says there are so many examples of people that lived in different times that didn't know what we get to know. And they were waiting for the eternal reward that we know more details about. Can you imagine going through life and being told there is a heaven, but having very little details about what that and the world that is? How do we get there? What's it going to be like? Who's going to be there waiting for us? Now we have the details that these people died not knowing, trusting in God enough to be able to take them to that eternal promised land. So yes, it's absolutely true that we are privileged because we get to hear the full word of God. Secondly, we get a chance to worship the Father. And that might sound like a little thing, but the fact that we know who the Father is, is a huge thing. Let's go over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Remember in the first century that the Jews who had the law, they knew who God was. They knew him as a creator. They knew him as an authority figure. They knew him as a one that was not pleased with their sinful lifestyle. And yet, when someone came along in the first century and called God their father, that really upset the folks that should have known him best. And then you have the Gentiles. And all you have to do is just imagine, or go to Acts 17 and just look at what Athens was like when Paul went there. He said, I saw a, a statue for all the gods that you have, and even one for the ones that you don't even know you have to the unknown God. I saw that statue amongst you. The one that you don't know, I'm going to explain to you, Paul would preach. And so we know that the Jews had a relationship with God, albeit not personal, we would say. The Gentiles didn't even know who God was, ultimately. And so in John chapter 4, you have someone who's kind of Jewish, kind of. You have a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were a group of people that were not taken away, primarily, in the exiles of Israel and Judah. So they had the Torah, they had the law. But they also had a real big problem with going to Jerusalem to worship their creator because they had a really great mountain near them 
And if you go to a mountain, you get higher to God, was the thought. And so they decided, we're going to add a little few things to our Torah, to our law, for Samaritans' scriptures. And so you have a Samaritan woman here who's aware of who God is, but has a really big question. And I think it's so fascinating that when you look at this woman at the well, we call her, because she was a woman, guess where? At the well. Um, She was waiting for someone that could come along and answer a question that she had had. Let me just pose this for you. If I could tell you in 30 minutes' time, Jesus is going to be inhabiting a body, he's going to approach you, he's going to write you a blank check for one question, meaning you get to ask him any question in the world. And regardless of what it is, he is going to answer that question. Just think about that for a minute. What would you ask? What have you always wondered? What have you been confused about or unclear about? Maybe it's someone that you love. Maybe it's your own situation. Maybe it's a a Bible trivia question for some reason that just bothers you. This woman got that opportunity. She wanted a prophet of God to answer her question. And this is her question. Let's go back here. And John chapter 4 beginning in verse 19. This is when she puts it all together. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well, good job. (laughs) He's revealed things about yourself that no one knew except for you. Guess what? He's a prophet. So she figured it out. Here's her blank check moment. I know you're a prophet, so here's my question. Our fathers, our ancestors, worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. That's her question. Really? You don't know who you're talking to, first of all. Just not a prophet, but the Son of God. But also, her question was, where should I worship this God that we read about in our scriptures? Is it on the mountain, like my people say, or is it in Jerusalem? Where is the right place to worship? That was her question. It seems so silly to us that that's her question. Because we've got really big questions, right? (laughs) Maybe not. That was bothering her. That was on her mind. That was a thing, despite her lifestyle, keeping in mind the context, that was her concern. Where's the right place to worship? And he said, woman, which is not a great way to begin a conversation I've learned over the years, woman... (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship because salvation is from or of the Jews, because the scriptures. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, because the Father is seeking such to worship him. It's interesting how her question did not talk about the Father at all. Her question talked about God. Where do you worship Him? He goes, oh, the Father? That's who you're talking about? Oh, I'll tell you. doesn't matter. The location of where you are physically doesn't matter whatsoever. Where you worship Him is in your spirit. And how do you do it? Through truth. 
What's that mean? Well, hopefully you're doing it right now, folks. <laughs> That's the answer. And we get a chance to look at this scripture and laugh at this poor Samaritan woman, right? I do anyway. I'm not going to tie you in with my, with my thoughts. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And she apparently didn't like that answer. Because she was like, well, no, it's, it's A or B. You can't write C and then write your own answer. Which is the right place? Because, well, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, him who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Which is my polite way of reading this. Like, well, okay, whatever. But, I mean, you're not the final authority. This Messiah is going to come along and he'll give me an A or B answer. Okay, so thanks, but no thanks. And Jesus said, I am he who speaks to you. Oh, whoops. <laughs> but folks, we get to assemble. And we know who the Father is. A revolutionary concept when Christ came on the scene. If you called him the Father, you're implying that there's a son, that you are a son or a daughter of the Father. And how are you holy enough to be someone who calls him the Father? Well, because he bought you with a price. He adopted you, if you will, through his son. So not only are we privileged, I think I'm running out of time, uh, by hearing the full word of God, we're also privileged by knowing who the Father is and being able to worship him, but we're also able to assemble in peace. Despite moments in which our world is interrupted through violence, through oppression, through distraction even. I think I heard an iPhone go off a couple of minutes ago. wasn't going to call you out, but hey, you know, mistakes happen. But we get to assemble in peace. And that's so important because Jesus, by the way, never promised you peace here on earth. Do you know that? Over in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34... Jesus was a terrible salesman. You ever think about that? I mean, if you look at someone on the television on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings, they're a great salesman. I mean, the way that they cherry-pick passages and talk about how great you are and how many great blessings you're going to have, hold up your Bibles, folks, right? That's not what Jesus did. When he came out, he's like, listen, you don't want to follow me, but you should. <laughs> That was his, his main boiled-down message. And here is his, his sales pitch. Matthew 10, 34, Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. It's like, if he thinks everything's going to be, you know, okay, it would be sunshines and rainbows the rest of your life, because Jesus came, you're wrong. This is going to be a problem for a lot of people. I have come to, here's a quote, set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Does that sound great or what? I mean, that's what Jesus' sales line was. Hey, if you follow me, just so you know, up front, this is not going to solve all your problems. Here on earth is the key. John 16, 33 You'll figure out over time, hopefully, that I remember where I am when I 
I read for the very first time certain passages. I know exactly where I was when I read this passage, John 16, 33. I was sitting in the Gloucester Church of Christ church building. I had my brown fake leather, or, you know, fake leather, uh, Zondervan King James Study Bible, my first ever Bible that was, like, legit. And I was reading through John. I don't know where the preacher was. I was not with him at all. I was reading my own thing. And I was reading this John 16. When I got to verse 33, I had this really obnoxious orange highlighter that ruined that Bible that I would use. And John 16, 33, I can barely read it now because of that dumb highlighter. So here we are. These things I have spoken to you. That's previous context. That me, you may have peace. So where is peace promised? In Christ. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, I love the fact that that's so specific. It doesn't say, in the world, you know, you might run into some problems. We're following a man that the people killed. And if you follow him, you're not going to be greater than him. You're going to have tribulation because he had tribulation. If you don't have tribulation, maybe there's something wrong with the way we're following him. Just a thought. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Don't let it get you down. Don't let it discourage you. Why? Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Now, that's a good sales pitch. (laughs) He says, I've come here not to bring peace but a sword, but that's just in this world, in this life. If you follow me and you're in me, You're going to have peace because I've overcome the world through what I've done. And there is a purpose behind that tribulation over in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. This is the parable of the soil, parable of the sower, whatever you want to call it. There's a sower and soil involved. All right. And he who received the seed, which is the word of God, Luke 8, 11, on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. Why? Because when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Depends on how you look at it. you got a guy who received the word of God readily, popped right up, good to go, want to be a follower of Jesus for the rest of my life. And then it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And immediately he doubts himself, falls away, and is lost. Good thing or bad thing? Well, it's bad because the guy's soul's in jeopardy. It's Good in a way because the word produced what it should have produced on a guy who had no foundation. It was on stony soil. Yeah, he received it because he thought it was good news, because it is good news, but you need to be aware that good news does involve some bad news from time to time. If you don't have the ability to run a marathon, but only sprint, following Jesus is not for you. It's harsh words. I know it. I wish everyone could accept it and then just go before it, but we're not all built that way. We're not all there quite yet, especially. 
It might take some time for us to develop and mature, let that word get a little bit more watering done, some more soil is, is ready and prepared, cultivated, and then they're ready for that long haul. Over in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, it's a promise from Paul. And Paul makes a couple of these, and this one's not that great. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly, which is just a fancy way to say godlike, by the way, to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If not been persecuted, again, what's going on? <laughs> Seems to be suspicious, right? If someone's not mad at you for being too into Jesus, maybe it's a thought to consider. So how do we appreciate these things? How do we show our appreciation? We've heard the full word of God. We worship the Father. We assemble in peace, though peace wasn't promised. Well, we can obey the word. That should be obvious. If we've got this far in our sermon, in our discussion, and you say, yes, I am privileged because I know what the word of God is, and yet you've not obeyed it, what in the world is going on? I mean, I remember when I first heard the gospel. I want to get baptized that very moment. I'm like, I can't do this by myself. I have run my life by my own desire for this long. And I'm not doing that great of a job. Maybe God can do better. And as soon as I realized that He could, I wanted to obey, and that was it. And here we are today. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be... Again, sunshine and rainbows all the time, but we have people around us to help us through those difficulties. So obeying it, it's pretty obvious. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 27. We read it in our Bible class recently. It reads, They were all amazed, and so they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? What new teaching is this? Because with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Don't miss the fact that even the demons, when they were told by Jesus the Christ, get out of him, they listened. So when Jesus tells us what to do to have salvation, to utilize his sacrifice, who are we to say, not right now? Demons obey, I don't know, I'm just saying, right? It's a weird kind of concept there that we're so stubborn sometimes we say, well, no, I'm not really that committed. I got some stuff in my life I need to change first. Well, these things are holding me back. No, the message is for you, and it's for me. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 41, who else obeys Jesus? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? If he can just stop a storm in the middle of a sea like that, if all of nature is listening to Jesus and obey him, if the demons listen and obey, who are we to say, No, not right now. I'll get around to it. It's important. Acts 5, 29 but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You have the Pharisees and Sadducees saying, Peter and John, don't talk about him anymore. And they go, oh, no, you don't have authority here, guys. Sorry about that. And then John 14, 15, of course, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
What else can we do? We can give him thanks. Uh, Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 12. We're almost at the end. Stick with me. I know. Got a little winded up at the beginning here, so just leave me, give me a couple more minutes. Luke 17, verse 12. <clears throat> Luke 17, verse 12. As they entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, and they stood afar off because they were lepers. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest, because he just cleaned them right there. Right there this morning, about one individual, now here's ten. Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And by the way, he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, weren't there ten of you guys? Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found to return glory to God except this foreigner? And he said, arise, go away. Your faith has made you well. I wonder if there's more to this story to that. Because he was going on his way to be checked out and he was cleansed. I wonder if the nine got there and they were cleansed or maybe they weren't. I don't know. The idea of giving thanks is such an important lesson in Scripture. And then finally, what can we do to properly observe and give thanks for these privileges that we have by sharing them with others? We have the opportunity to, to feel so privileged and blessed because I just told you why you should feel privileged and blessed. Why don't you, in, re in return, go tell somebody else? You know what? We are so privileged. Really? Why? Share with them the Word of God. Tell them why they're privileged. They may not know it. They may have heard it before, but never from that angle. Maybe they've kind of been thinking that their life is not going the way that they think it should. Maybe they should realize they're not in control of their life the way they should. Christ should be. And so this morning, we are so privileged. We know what the Word of God is. We live in this time frame in which we can look back and see from creation until the end of time what this world's all about. Not saying it's going to be easy. We're always going to have peace and safety and comfort, though we can enjoy those things when they develop. And we should also strongly be aware that we know who our Father is. He loved us so much that He gave His Son to die for us, to give us the chance to be so privileged. If anyone has a need to respond to the invitation, please do so now. We stand and we sing.